Welcome to the Wedding Film Academy podcast, your go-to source for learning to create stunning wedding films and run a successful business. Here's your host, Lumix Luminary and wedding filmmaker, Jordan Bunch. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Wedding Film Academy podcast. We are continuing on with our series here on uh, newbies. And with us, live and in person, in the studio, we have a newbie. So I'm super excited that uh, Marcos is with us. Marcos is about to start shooting his first weddings. He's edited a few weddings. Uh, He's done some blogging, sorry, some vlogging. Uh, and some other just kind of personal stuff, but he's really interested in getting uh, deeper into wedding filmmaking. He's booked a few weddings that he's going to shoot here coming up. Uh, He's got like four weddings planned, but he has yet to shoot a single wedding. And so what we're going to do is we're going to have Marcos interview Taylor and I. So you remember Taylor from last week. She's the producer of this show. She is on with us as well. If you didn't listen to that one, definitely make sure to listen to that episode. It was a really informative episode. But Taylor has been shooting with me for the last 15 months. She's also the studio manager for my company, Ladybird Studios. And so I think she's going to be really helpful for a lot of these pieces where she's really running you know, certain parts of our business and we'll be able to speak better to some of those things than I will. So uh, anyways, thanks for coming. You're coming all the way from California to here to Austin, Texas. So thanks for coming. Yeah. Um, I didn't come just for you. But. Well, of course, <laughs> I know, but I wanted to make it sound like you did. Yeah. Obviously, so. so I flew in today and I, you know, I contacted you and you said, yeah, come on over and maybe you can interview me. So here I am. Nice. So what are you in town for actually? I'm here to attend the uh, conference, the Sean West conference, and it's a, a three-day thing, and it's for business creatives, people that want to build a business. So I think this fits in quite nicely. For, Perfect. Yeah. yeah. You're you're one step ahead of the game here and getting started. I think that's, I mean, we'll talk about that a lot, but education is just huge. So hats off to you. Yeah, thank you. So tell me a little bit more about yourself. Okay, so... I'll just try to keep it very brief. Um, I started creating, well, experimenting with videos a couple years ago. And uh, I started taking it more seriously. I reached out to video production companies in my area. A lot of them were actually wedding filmmakers. Uh, One of them responded to me, (laughs) out of a ton of them. And he actually took me on as as an editor. And fast forward a year and a half, I've edited a bunch of weddings for him. Um, I've also done a little bit of commercial work. I've shot online courses and I'm, I'm slowly getting more clients. So I'm very interested in the business side of, you know, just video production, but also wedding filmmaking, because like you said, I've booked some weddings that are coming up next month. Nice. Awesome. Well, let's dive right into it. I know you've got a bunch of questions for us. Yeah. So let's just go off the list. Cool. <laughs> I've never yeah. actually interviewed someone on a podcast, so <laughs> that's uh, okay. bear with me. So the first thing that I want to know is, you know, I am a beginner. I never shot a wedding. So I'm just wondering what what kind of or what are some common mistakes you see in beginning wedding filmmakers? Yeah, for sure. I think one of the biggest things I see, first of all, is they're not capturing audio. So I see a ton of wedding videos out there that are basically music videos. You know, they've, they've captured footage from the wedding 
and you know very with varying degrees of success but without capturing the audio it's really hard to capture the emotion and the story of what was going on at that event so i think that's probably the number one thing my number one critique of most new wedding filmmakers is just that they failed to capture any audio at all of course they had some audio in the camera but you can't really use that it's going to sound awful it's going to really distract from the video overall so if you're not capturing audio um, with good microphones or you know microphones at all then you're just not going to get um, you're you're going to have a weak product um, in the end i think you know there's also just some of the basics not having a good exposure a lot of times it's blowing out the highlights usually um, more so than anything else uh, the white balance issue, I see a ton of orange footage out there. So that's one of the bigger mistakes I see a lot of new people make is just they use auto white balance or they just didn't dial the, their Kelvin in right on their white balance. So they ended up with orange looking footage. Um, shaky video is really common with new people. Um, you know, And then so those are some things just in terms of, of actually shooting. Um, in terms of, of business, I think there's a lot of mistakes that new people make as well. Uh, probably the number one mistake is not thinking properly about your expenses. I think a lot of people say, okay, well, if I can charge $2,000, I'm going to make $2,000 off of every wedding video. Well, that's just not true at all. You know, you have to factor in so many things. You have to factor in the gear that you bought. You have to factor in the cost of the acquisition of that client. You know, what kind of marketing efforts did you do? What kind of advertisements did you do to get that client? Are you going to have to pay your second shooter? Uh, what are your taxes going to be? So there's, there's all these things that you, people aren't factoring in. They're like, oh, well, I charged $2,000 and it took me a total of, you know, 10 hours to shoot the video and 30 hours to edit it. So I made X number of dollars per hour. That's just not the case at all. You know, it's, it ends up being way, way, way less than that. Um, particularly if you live in a state like California, right, where you have state income taxes yeah. on top of. That's what I was thinking about. The, then there's taxes they have to you have to pay on the profit. Exactly. I don't know if you, they pay you with a credit card, stuff like everything that you need. Right. All these things add up. Yeah. So so that's one big thing that they don't factor in whenever they're factoring in their you know what their pricing is going to be. I think. Uh, one of the other big mistakes I see a lot of new people is just a huge focus on researching gear indefinitely. It's like a, a process <laughs> that can never end, you know? Oh, yeah. So uh, people do that to a fault where they're not working on their craft because they're so consumed with which camera system should I invest in, which you know, which lenses should I get? You know, you see it on the Facebook forums constantly is that question. And people are just endlessly searching for more and more information. It's, you know, analysis paralysis. And so they end up not actually working on their craft because they're fo so focused on what gear should I get? Um, I think the, you know, I, I can relate to that because it, when you're researching or learning, it feels like progress. Right. But you're not actually making anything. You're not producing anything. Right. So really, you're not moving forward in any way. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think a, a lot of people show up at a wedding for their first time with one camera. I think that can be a big mistake um, because 
what if that camera goes down? You know, what if something happens to that camera? Or a lot of times it's just the fact of, especially at a ceremony, it's incredibly beneficial to have at least two cameras rolling at any given time because you got to have something to cut between, mm-hmm. especially whenever you're doing that doc edit. I, I prefer three cameras. Um, I think if you can use at least three cameras, you're going to be in good shape. But a lot of new people show up with one camera to shoot a wedding. And I think that's a big mistake. And along those same lines is not having a second shooter. And a lot of people are going to disagree with me about this because there's people who are doing spectacular work with one shooter. But I think that especially as you're getting started, it would just be incredibly helpful to have somebody who's there helping you. Even if it's not a second shooter, even if it's just an assistant that you pay 10 bucks an hour to, to come and help you lug around gear and all that kind of stuff, uh, carry a light for you, those kind of things. I think that it's going to take a lot of stress off your plate if you have a second person there with you. So mm-hmm. those are, those are a few of the main ones I'm thinking of. Okay. So that's definitely something to think about, um, which leads into my second question. It might be related. So what do you think is the difference between, I mean, uh, a wedding filmmaker that thrives and one that doesn't, because it's not just about shooting your first or second wedding. You have to think about five years down the line and, you know, I think the last statistic I heard was that 90% of businesses fell within the first five years and then it just gets worse. I think I'm coming at this from a business mindset. How do I make sure I survive and that I make this an actual living, you know? I'm going to give you three things to think about. Networking, marketing, and customer service. What do all of these things have in common? Relationship. You're going to thrive by building relationships with clients, and with vendors. It's really, in my opinion, that simple. Because weddings are a team sport, and the only way to survive the madness of a wedding day is to learn how to build those relationships. Build relationships. Okay. Yeah. I think I I completely agree with Taylor, obviously. Um, I also think that education is huge. I think so many business owners, regardless of the field that it is that they're going into, they have the mindset that they know how to do it. It's and it's it's their way or the highway, right? So they come in with this uneducated mentality of I already know how to do everything mm. and they're just gonna go after it. So taking the more humble approach and saying, I need to learn, um, I need to be a constant learner. I think I mean, for myself, I have the perspective of I'm going to be a learner for the rest of my life. I go into you know a conversation with anybody realizing that I have this person has something to teach me that I don't know. And so I think constantly being open to educating yourself is huge. Uh, that's why, I mean, honestly, like that's part of the reason why I love doing this podcast is because not only am I being an educational resource to other people in this industry, but it's been an education resource to myself as I'm talking to all my guests. So I think education is huge. I also think that when you're getting started, you don't have a lot of weddings to shoot, right? Because you're trying to find clients and all that stuff. So shoot personal projects, you know, come up with, uh, come up with a, an idea of something that you'd like to shoot. Um, you know, just get out and practice, 
I think that's huge. So if you can find some other wedding filmmakers, you know, you mentioned reaching out to the one guy, uh, but there's lots of other people in your area who probably could use some help. They could use a second shooter. They could use an assistant. So reach out to those people and say, hey, can I come with you? Can I help you out? Um, just like getting out there to get practice. And then also I would say find someone local um, or or otherwise who can be a coach to you, someone who has, uh, you know, someone who you can admire um, and who can speak into your life and who can ask good questions of you, who can critique your work. Um, you know, I think that's just really beneficial if you can find someone in your life who can be a coach to you. Okay. Now, uh, I want to go back to what Taylor said. She says, you know, this is about networking, customer service. Do you know the what percentage of your clients come from referrals as opposed to advertisement or social media posts that you guys do? Yeah, I looking at this from a lead standpoint, I would say probably 60 to 70% of our leads come from the not. Uh, we have a profile on the not and we just, it's been an unbelievable resource for getting leads. Now of the weddings that we actually book, I would say probably right now about 40% of them are from referrals. Um, the three relationships that I think are the most important are venues wedding planners and photographers. I would say most of our referrals come from one of those three vendors. And customer, you know, previous customers. Yes, and previous yeah. customers. But talking like from wedding vendors, those are usually the three that I see the most. I was just thinking about this. So I'm going to add to this. Um, I have a website and there I have a page, but there's no work there. There's nothing there. So I think my challenge, as I see it right now, is if I point people to my website, they want to see some work, right? And there's nothing there. There's, there's no previous relationships I've built with, I don't know, vendors or previous couples. I think it's a challenge for anyone beginning, you know, just to build a portfolio. I think you mentioned, you talked about this, you know, build a portfolio, produce work, produce something that people can see, and that way they can hire you. Yeah, so... I have a couple of tips for you. One uh, that we did was we went to a few venues around town and said, hey, we'd love to make a video of your property for you so that when people come to your website, they can basically have like a, a virtual tour of your mm -hmm. property. Um, and of course, you know, our, our logo is on that. And so they're going to throw that video on their website. We're going to get some, you know, some marketing just from that. But also we're creating a relationship with them. We're building slowly a body of work for ourselves um, from these wedding venues. Um, but something else I would say, and this is uh, going back to my first ever wedding that I shot. I went to a wedding venue and talked to the venue manager and said, hey, is there anybody getting married this month who does not have a wedding videographer? Because I would like to shoot their wedding for them for free. So... Uh, they said, yes, um, I'll point you to this couple. They don't have anybody videoing their wedding, and I'm sure they would love that. So that was how I got my first wedding. That was your wedding first video. wedding? That was my first wedding, yep. Okay. So you're not against the idea of you should never give away your work for free. I think you have to have something to show. You know, it's going to be really difficult for someone to trust you with any amount of money if they've never seen you do anything. 
Now, maybe you could get someone, a friend or something to book you if you could show them like some personal project you did, you know, you go to shoot something of your family or, you know, I don't know what you do. You shoot an event that you go to, you know, just go to some Mm -hmm. live event somewhere and shoot something. But I think it's really helpful, especially for, for clients, people who don't know you to book some, to, to have something to show off. So, so yeah, absolutely. That first wedding I did for free. The second wedding I did for free as well. I did it for a friend. So I had a friend who was getting married and I knew they were not going to have a wedding videographer. And so I did, again, I did that for free. I said, Hey, I'd like to shoot this for you. Uh, the third wedding video is one I charged for it. So yeah, I think I charged $1,300 for my first wedding video that I charged for. There's a third one, but I couldn't have done that without having a body of work to show off. Okay. This is something I have to explain to my wife. I tell her, well, the first wedding I booked was through Craigslist. Someone, uh, a college student posted, hey, I need a wedding done. Uh, it's coming up in two months from now. Uh, this was about three weeks ago. And I only have $150. And I jumped on it. I'll do it for you. And so that was my first one Yeah. that I booked. Um, so now I have to explain to my wife, Hey, it's $150, you know, it's, it's basically free and it's a lot of work. And then I have to buy a second camera, all this gear, you know, it's a lot that goes into making these, these film films, right? It's an investment, but you know, it's with the long-term thinking, well, this is going to build my portfolio. If I want people to book me, you know, then I have to, you know, put in the time and invest the money again. That's what I was going to say is don't so much look at it as you're giving away your work for free. Look at it as an investment because it's it's a mutually beneficial thing. They're getting something for either free or really cheap, but you're getting something that you can put in your portfolio. You're going to book so many more weddings and you're going to book them a lot faster if people can jump on your website and watch videos. I can't tell you how many emails we get from people that the one of the first things they say is, oh, I was looking at your videos on your website. I've already watched a bunch and I love them. Now I want to talk about your packages. So a lot of people come to us having already watched the videos before we ever even talk to them. Uh, I think this is really good information. So maybe I'll just <laughs> ask you a little bit more about, um, I'm going to jump a little bit ahead and talk about your all your points of contact because I'm just learning this. I'm learning to communicate with the brides and email them. And sometimes I don't know, should I call them? Should I email them? Should I text them? And what kind of, what kind of questions should I ask them when I first email them? What type of inf- information do I need right now so I can get ready? I mean, I, I, I guess you can just give me a brief, uh, I guess, a timeline from the first email or the first phone call to the end to when you deliver the final footage maybe briefly. Yeah. We try to automate as much of that as possible. A lot of times people ask me, when is it the right time to start automate some of these things? I would say as soon as possible, Uh, because having a system in place now is going to be extremely beneficial as you start to book more weddings. Because when you start to book more weddings, you're going to be like, Oh my gosh, I'm too busy to like set all this up and everything and, and have it the way I want it. So I think like doing all that now is not only going to give these people a great customer service experience, even though they've only given you 150 bucks, you know, but 
it's also going to set you up for success long-term in all this communication. Um, you asked several questions there. I try to stay completely away from text messages. So sometimes they'll send me a text message, but I'll tell them, please email me because that way I can keep everything organized. If you text message me and it's something important, like I might forget about it, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Like if I have it in email, I'm going to stay way more organized. So I try to stay away from text messages. Um, and when I do have phone calls, I'll try to do a phone log. Um, so with 17 hats, I have their, I have like their contact page that has all their documents. All of my emails are in there from them. I can do a phone log for any notes that I have from a conversation with them. So all that's super organized. I'll let Taylor talk a little bit about kind of the automation part of that. So 17 hats is an amazing online platform for you to keep your business organized. And on the front end of it, it, it takes I would say it would take a while for you to get yourself set up, kind of set up all your automated emails that you want to send, design workflows for yourself. So we have different workflows for different stages of the wedding process. So when a lead first comes in, we have a a marketing workflow for that. So I plug them in and if we're available, I send them an email that's, everything's templated out. So I have a template email for like every scenario pretty much. So I'll send them an email saying, yes, we're available. Here's some info on packaging or no, we're not available. And then from there, we have a couple automated marketing emails that go out. So after they receive their initial email, a week later, they'll get another one. Just, hey, this is why you should have a wedding video. And we have a couple different scenarios and things for them to think about so that even if they don't respond to us right away, they're still getting emails from us and there's things to think about as they, you know, are looking at other videographers or whatever they're doing. And then once they decide they want to book us, I send over a contract and an invoice. All of that is online. They can pay online. There's tons of banks that are available through 17 Hats. So most people just hop on, plug in their bank info and pays with an e-check. Um, they sign the contract electronically. And then from there, I put them into like a pre-wedding workflow. So then it depends how far out they book us. For the ones that book us pretty far out, I check in every month or couple months. So like we have five months out, four months out, three months out, just to kind of stay in touch, just so it doesn't seem like, you know, we forgot you're still on our calendar. It kind of puts them at ease. And sometimes clients have random things that come up. Oh, I wanted to tell you about this little detail or I'm thinking about doing this. Sometimes they've got questions or whatever. So that's nice to have that check in every few months. And then the real detailed communication comes within a month before the wedding. So that's when I start sending out emails saying, okay, your final invoice is due. Time to think about the timeline. I have a couple of questions that I ask them about the day, things that they're going to be doing, get as much information as possible about the wedding day. Um, If there's a planner, they'll connect me with their planner a lot of times. And then from there, I'll do all my communication with the wedding planner. So that leads all the way up until the day of. I even check in with them one week before just saying, hey, usually by then we've got everything we need but if not do you email them or call them primarily this is all automated emails that we have built into workflows through 17 hats now phone calls are great because 
It's helpful to get on the phone with a planner. Maybe you're talking to someone at a church about the ceremony. Sometimes the bride just would rather hop on the phone and discuss things with you. So I always, we always say, feel free to call us. Let us know if you want to schedule a phone call. So the idea of talking on the phone is always there. Like we're always here and available. But email is just kind of universal and preferred by a lot of people. Plus when you're getting like the timeline and all of the details, it helps to have all of that in writing. And then I can go back and make sure that I get everything I need from the emails, plug it in 17 hats. So I can basically pull up their profile on 17 hats and see everything I need to know about the day. So phone calls is really up to them if they would rather hop on the phone, but some people would rather just email because they're busy or it works better with their work schedule. So I would say both, just depending on what the client wants. Is running your business taking away from the time that you have to make better wedding films? Do you feel disorganized? What happens when a hot lead goes cold after your first email response? Do you have a system in place to stay in contact with them? Do you find yourself asking, where was that bride's phone number again? And have they paid their invoice or not? Which package do they get and what are their deliverables? How organized are your financial records when it comes to tax time? Wouldn't it be awesome if you could afford forty dollars or $50,000 to pay someone to take care of all this extra stuff for you? I've got an idea. How about you sign up for 17 hats and pay just $300 a year to let their amazing online software take care of all of this for you? Before I got 17 hats, I was buried in a sea of unorganized emails, spreadsheets, bank statements, receipts, sticky notes, Google Docs, and more. I was letting hot leaves go cold because I couldn't remember who to stay in contact with. I was spending weeks trying to get my tax records organized from my accountant. It was awful. And now I pay 17 hats, just $300 a year, and they do all of that for me. It's like having a full-time assistant working around the clock on your business, making sure that everything is organized, invoices are paid on time, and making you look like a real pro to your clients. And now, 17 hats is giving you an amazing offer. When you use the link at the top of our website, weddingfilmacademy.org, You'll get 15% off the list price, and it's a great way for you to help keep us making great content each week for you. If you want to learn more about 17 Hats, go back in the archives and listen to the podcast that we did with them. We actually got to chat with the CEO and one of the VPs of 17 Hats for an hour, so definitely go back and listen to that podcast as well if you want to learn more. Thanks a ton. Let's get back to the show. So 17 hats, you can accept uh, payments. Yes. You can accept payments. But does that mean you don't need a bookkeeper or an accountant because now everything's managed for you? Yeah. So you can also, in addition to taking payments, you can also plug in your banking information so that it will automatically bring in all of your expenses wow. as well. <laughs> um, and it will it will do its best to automate and categorize those items for you sometimes you'll have to go in and and you know choose a category for it um but after you do that it it also learns so it'll uh you know it'll get better over time but it'll categorize those things for you and then so like when it's time for your taxes to be done you have a categorized profit and loss statement to give to your tax person um, so that's, that's the way I do it. I don't have a bookkeeper. Um, I don't have an accountant. I have, well, I, I have a, um, I have an accountant who does my taxes for me, but basically what he needs from me at the end of the year is just, 
it's all already there for me. It's just a matter of exporting my profit and loss statements for him. Um, and then he has everything that he needs. So, uh, you know, I mean, besides like collecting 1099s from corporate clients and some of those kind of things, but yeah, that's what we do rather than having a professional bookkeeper mm -hmm. is 17 hats just kind of does all that for us. So it's something to think about. Okay. Yeah, for sure. It's a lot better than if you just print out your bank statements, like you've got to still go through and categorize all those things for your accountant when it comes to tax time. So this does all that for you. Okay. So let's move on cool. <laughs> to the next question. Uh, what are your thoughts on going into debt to buy gear? I mean, I recently bought a second camera. Mm-hmm. Because I, you know, I thought to myself, well, I really need a second camera. Otherwise, I might miss big moments. Sure. Um, but, you know, I could buy more stuff, but that could mean that I could, might go into debt. So I don't know if that's a good idea. I don't like the idea of debt. Yeah. Um, so maybe you can talk about that. And also, you know, what, what kind of, how would I go about to buy used gear for someone just starting out? Yeah, for sure. Those are really good questions. Um Mark Cuban is, uh, you know, always, I think for most, most entrepreneurs, they look up to Mark Cuban, right? He said, um, he said only an idiot goes into debt when they're starting a business, <laughs> which, you know, Mark Cuban likes to overstate things, right? Mm -hmm. But I think that his advice is good medicine. I think that I, I personally, I would highly encourage you not to go into debt to buy your gear. Because the gear has gotten so good, you can get really great, not latest and greatest, but you can still get really great stuff on the used market that's, you know, two, three, four years old um, in order to not go into debt and still be able to come out with a good product. So I really encourage people not to go into debt. I think that if you can keep your regular job while you're building up your wedding business, And rather than going into debt, take the profits of whatever you make from these weddings and pour it back into your business. I did that for the first several years of my business. I was working a full-time job. I was a dorm director. Um, and every extra you know job that I got, I was taking that money and buying some new gear that I needed with it or you know, buying uh, you know another class or I was just basically everything was going back into investing into my business. So, you know, if you have to borrow stuff from a friend, if you have to rent stuff out from whether it's a camera store or rent it from another wedding video company, um, I would just encourage you if it's at all possible, don't go into debt to do this uh, because you're going to end up just eating your profits alive by doing that. Buying used gear, I think is a really great route to go to Like Jordan and I are part of two Facebook groups. One is for local Austin wedding videographers. The other, I think, is international. But people list so many things for sale on Facebook. Every day I'm seeing new people posting, oh, I'm selling my camera, my old mic, my whatever. And I think that's a really great place to look because you can get some really good deals, even if on things that, you know, okay, it's got some wear and tear, but it still functions great. So I think that's a really good resource to have if you can maybe find some local Facebook groups or things in your area, get in touch with 
networking again with other wedding videographers is just really helpful when getting started, when you need gear, when you just have a question, you want to post it to the group and open up a discussion. I just think it's a great resource to have. Facebook. I haven't been on Facebook for a couple of years, but Ooh, you're gonna I'll, get on I'll Facebook. get back on it again. Okay. Uh, so the next question I have is, so I'm getting these clients in, I guess I want to give them that professional experience you guys are talking about, the automation. But how do I write a contract? I don't even know where to get started or what needs to be on this contract. Yeah. You know, it just sounds very intimidating to write something like this. Sure. Yeah. There's there's two basic ways that most people do this. One is contact a lawyer. Uh, there's lawyers who their whole focus is in contracts. So, you know, reach out to a contract lawyer. Uh, there are, there's even, I can't remember the name of it. There's a lawyer who um, kind of turned photographer, but he still writes contracts for photo professionals. So, you know, he knows the kind of things that photo and video professionals have to deal with. So Google that. I'm not sure what it is, but, but the other way is just to, you know, Google wedding videographer template and go from there and kind of use that as a starting point. It's probably not the most recommended way to go, but uh, it was probably written by a lawyer and you may be okay with it. Um, at the very least though, I would say if you go that route, you know, maybe you can hire a lawyer to just look over that contract and see what he thinks. Um, we do keep our contracts pretty simple. Though. Are there like major things that must be there? I'm thinking about things that might get you into trouble if you don't write it specifically in that contract. Like, um, I will deliver the footage within this amount of time or something like that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're going to put something like a timeline in there, make sure you way overshoot it. You know, if you think you're going to deliver it in four weeks, tell them 12 weeks on the right. contract or whatever. Just give yourself time for anything that may come up in life, right? Um, but it's it's mostly, I would say, like make sure that you're covering yourself against losses, right? So if something happens where you can't show up, um, you know, I, I put in my contract that if something happens where I can't show up, which has never happened, thankfully, um, then I will... Um, get someone who I trust can also do a good job to get there for you, you know, hmm. or if, you know, there's a weather type event, an act of God, a um, immediate death in the family, that kind of thing. Like I'll do whatever I can to get someone else to, to do this for you. Um, if something happens and a file is corrupted and I lose a part of the wedding because a file was corrupted on the card, I'm not responsible for that. That stuff happens, you know, like little things like that. Has that happened actually? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, okay. yeah. We've never lost like a full wedding or anything, but we've had like little files that were lost. Mm. Um, sometimes more significant than others, but that does happen, you know? So, um, yeah, memory cards are not foolproof. Even brand new ones can sometimes corrupt. So a lot of people say, oh, we just buy a new one every time. I'm like, well, even the new ones sometimes corrupt. So, uh, sometimes stuff just happens. Uh, that's why I love the GH5. It's got two card slots in it. Really awesome for that. 
Um, but that's another topic. Okay. Uh, yeah. So my next question is for Taylor. Um, how do how do you deal with the client that is not responding to your emails within a timely manner? Because I've just experienced this with the first weddings. I email them and it takes them three, four days to respond. And it, I don't know if I need to be more pushy. Usually I I don't run into this problem until we're like within a month of the wedding. Because that's the time when we're most actively talking. Because, okay, it's time to fork out the final details. I need your timeline. I need to know the schedule. And also, you know, it's the craziest last month of their life right before the biggest day of their life. So a lot of times they were just like, you know, they don't see it or they, you know, see it and forgot to respond. So my first step always is to just send a follow-up email. Hey, checking in again. Just want to remind you I need this information or whatever it was I was emailing them for. And then a lot of like a lot of times that's enough. They're like, "Oh, sorry, I'm, you know, I've been going crazy, whatever. I didn't have time to respond or, you know, a lot of times I can just send a follow-up email and they appreciate the extra check-in. But if I have two emails, no response, and, like, we're getting close and I have to know something, then I call them. Usually, I mean, you call them and you can reach them or leave a voicemail and they call right back. But I, I don't have this problem very often. Usually, and, you know, the closer you get to the wedding, the more it happens. But usually they're contacting me even before I need to know things. You know, I've had brides at three months out. They're like... So when do we start talking about the timeline? When do I need to um, tell you the details? When when do we talk about like the day and all the final details and you know all the stuff? And I tell them I have emails I'm going to send out to you. I will let you know step by step what I need. Don't worry about it. You know we're going to check in all the way up until the day of. So usually people are contacting me and staying on top of it because so they it's want not to. Like a problem you experience often. Not very often. The biggest thing that happens is I'm waiting on the timeline and sometimes people push it to pretty close to within the week of the wedding and I still don't have the timeline. Yeah. And you just have to be pushy about that because you have to know the schedule. I have to know what time my videographers are going to show up because I'm in charge of scheduling the shooters that are going to be there on the day of. I have to tell them what time to be there. They should have the schedule so they know what's happening. So all that information is just crucial to have. So when it gets to, when it's the week of the wedding and you're still missing information, be pushy. That's just all there is to it. They're not going to get mad at you. Most likely they're just going crazy and, you know, they're trying to get in touch with everybody and it's just chaotic and they're not meaning to ignore you. It's just a really busy time, which is also why it's really great when they have a planner because the planner will stay on top of everything and when I'm dealing with a wedding that has a planner, all that stuff goes really smoothly. Really? Okay. So you, you prefer to contact the wedding planner over the bride at that point, once you get that information? Yeah. Usually the planner will contact you first and say, hey, I'm the planner for so-and-so's wedding. From here on out, deal with me and talk to me about everything, which is nice because then the bride doesn't have to worry about it. I don't have to ask them for details i can just talk to the planner i can hop on the phone we can chat about just the nitty-gritty stuff for for the day of and a lot of times it's easier to talk with a planner because they know how a wedding day is supposed to go and you can really get the fine-tuned information that you need 
Okay. So my next next question is more about uh, actually taking on a couple or a client. How do you know when you shouldn't take on a, a bride or a couple? I, I guess primarily you're dealing with the bride, so that's who you're talking to. Usually, not always, usually. but usually, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think when you're just getting started out, you probably just need to take everything you can get, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, you, you need to get practice, you need to get paid, you know, you need to get your work out there, you need to meet people, and you'd be surprised, like, you know, which weddings will lead to more more weddings, you know? Like, yeah. that's one of our bigger sources of referrals is previous clients, I think when you're just getting started, like take what you can get as you progress, uh, as your prices grow, you know, honestly, like most of it is just about, are they willing to pay the price that you set? If they are trying to negotiate with you on the price a lot, then, you know, that's probably not your client. So I think that's, that's one of the biggest things is just like, because it shows whether or not they value you. Or they just value the idea of having a wedding video, period. And so, you know, you can get pickier over time. But I think in the beginning, take what you can get. I've, I've heard, you know, people that I admire say, you got to be, you have to be picky. You have to be selective. But I've tried to do that and I don't think it works when you're starting out, like you said. Yeah, I hear that a lot from people and... It's, it's almost always just people who are, who are much further advanced and they're going to limit themselves to, I'm only going to take 25 weddings this year. Mm. And so if you're only going to take 25 weddings this year and you're getting a ton of leads uh, who are you know willing to pay that price, then you can start to be picky about it. Yeah. But until you get to that point, I think you just take the work that's there. That, that makes sense. So my next question is, what is the best non-gear related item that you've bought that has made the difference in your business? That's a big, yeah, big sentence. So non-gear related, non-gear related, but I that's bought it. Made a, yeah, so, it could be an item or it could be, uh, I don't know. Yeah. So we talked about seventeen hats. I mean, that's definitely been probably the biggest thing. We use it all day, every day. So, I mean, in terms of non-gear, it's a software. So I guess that counts. Um, but it, it it runs our business, you know. Uh, right now, if 17 hats turned off, we would be screwed, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that's probably number one. Uh, lately, this office has been a huge asset to us. It's been great to have clients in and that kind of thing. But just on a daily basis to be in the same place with each other, um, to be able to get lunch together, to be able to have our team meeting, to be able to just shout down the hall and say, you know, for Taylor to say, Hey Jordan, I told you to answer that email three hours ago, you know, or for me to be able to walk into my editor's office and him say, Hey, can you watch this? Can you show me? I can't get the color right on this. Can you, can you help me, you know, give me final approval on this video? Like this office has been a huge asset. Um, and you know, the, uh, the pen setter from real L brewing company that I'm drinking right now, it's non gear related and it's extremely helpful yeah, yeah. in my life. Right now. <laughs> it's the, uh, it's a Texas Amber lager. So right. highly beneficial. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So beer, it's uh, top of your list. All right. 
Well, it's the third one down. So. so we had an amazing interview with Marcos, but it went a little bit longer than we normally like to do for these episodes. And so what we're doing instead is we're splitting it up into two separate episodes. So you'll have to tune in next week if you want to finish up this episode from the interview that we did with Marcos. I think you're definitely going to want to make sure you come back because the stuff that we talked about on the second half is going to be extremely helpful, especially to those of you who are just getting started. So definitely make sure that you come back next week to check out the second half of that interview. And again, please, please, please do hop on over to iTunes Give us a five-star review and let us know what you think about this. It's so helpful in getting the word out about what we're doing here. So please take the time to do that for us. Thanks a ton. See you next week. The Wedding Film Academy podcast is produced by Taylor Juarez. If you found this episode helpful, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. And help us out by leaving a five-star review on iTunes. And when you're done, head on over to WeddingFilmAcademy.org to chat with our other wedding filmmakers like yourself in the comments section. Until next time, keep making movie magic.